You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Generations Minister Maddie Bialecki. Let's open up our Bibles now together to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images made to look like a mortal human, a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me begin by praying for us. Heavenly Father, we come to your word today and ask that you would open our hearts and minds to see you clearly and to respond in thanks and praise. We ask that by your spirit, you give us wisdom, understanding and a knowledge of you that helps us find truth and rest. In laying before us the depths of sin and death and darkness, may our joy and thanksgiving for your gospel of power be eclipsing in its light and truth. For your glory we pray. Amen. Picture in your mind the most beautiful garden you've ever seen. It could be a combination of one you've visited as well as some of those extra details of your imagination, like how it smells, the sounds around you of birds or running water, the shady trees or the rows of flowers. How does being in the garden make you feel? Keep that garden in your mind 
and let me tell you a story about its gardener. This gardener loves his garden, tenderly caring for it every day. Each morning and night, he is out doing whatever the garden needs to be healthy and thrive. The garden's beauty and his labour give him such joy and delight. The gardener plants, waters and builds beautiful things and every single thing in this wonderland the gardener himself made and designed. He loves his garden, but what he loves most of all is sharing this garden with his friends who he also made to enjoy it. They go walking with him in the afternoon under the trees, learning from him about his plans for the garden and how they can help grow it. And the friends he invited to the garden know and love the gardener. There's only one thing he tells his friends not to touch in the whole garden, and that's his favourite rose bushes. Hold on to that story as we come to our passage for today. Today, we're going on a deep dive into our need for the gospel. This is an entirely uncomfortable experience if you've never done it before, but an entirely necessary one. Romans 1, 18 to 32 shows the downward spiral of who all of us would eventually become were it not for the gospel. Paul wants us to sit in the utter depravity and decay of our decision-making and where it leads us. We are forced to uncover our eyes to the reality of what sin and decay are and who's responsible. In many ways, Paul is giving a defense of the wrath of God and why God's judgment, though unpopular to many, is completely good and just. The word wrath or phrase wrath of God can often cause us to respond in confusion, fear, or just make us feel deeply uncomfortable. When you type it into Google, as I did this week, the thesaurus gives you words like anger, rage, fury, and annoyance to explain it. It's also defined as extreme anger and strong vengeful anger. But it's important to recognize that how we as humans respond in anger to things that upset us is very different to God's wrath. Our anger, though not always, is often clouded by our unrighteousness and full of mean-spiritedness, pride and division. Whereas God's anger and wrath are free of these toxic aspects and it's good. God, as the source of goodness, is the only one who can see rightly and therefore is the most appropriate person to respond to that which is wrong. Sin is essentially defined as immorality or an act against God's law and person. Think about it this way. If you know the law says to not murder and you witness someone murder another person, it's appropriate for you to respond in anger and a desire for justice to be made. So if God has designed our world with a moral law at the centre of it, and we act against that, it is also right that he respond with anger and the outworking of his justice. Today, I hope you can begin or continue to understand why responding positively to the need for God's wrath is a demonstration of our love for God and his commands, as well as the truest outworking of justice. I want to acknowledge that there are plenty of big emotional and complex moments in this passage that require far more pastoral exploration than I'm going to have time to do. 
If I was to speak for even an hour on each, I would be barely scratching the surface. So I encourage you to be praying for one another this week and returning to the themes you are wrestling with in your life groups and with another mature Christian. And please come and find me or any of our pastoral staff after this if you need some more space to process anything we open today. Friends, in order for us to understand the power and light of the gospel and our need for it, we have to first understand the depth of our total powerlessness without it and the darkness we live in apart from God. So buckle up and let's dive in. Throughout our passage, we see three exchanges we make, which take us further from God and the truth of what is objectively right and wrong. In response to each exchange we make, God gives us over to the decisions we've made as the fitting outworking of his justice. And as we look at the devastation of these three exchanges, three things emerge in our need for the gospel. One, we have not been left ignorant and we are without excuse. Two, we must stand to account for our decision-making, our agency. Three, we are powerless and enslaved to death without the power of the gospel to save. So let's look at number one. We have not been left ignorant and we are without excuse. You can see beginning from verse 18, Paul outlines the scope of who is under the wrath of God and then moves slowly inward in concentric circles in the next passages to demonstrate the levels of knowledge given to humanity. That though some receive natural revelation, which is our passage today, and the outermost circle and encapsulates everyone, others received extra special revelation. But we are all under the wrath of God in our inability to live according to God's design. So what happened in between our creation and the fall that means we are under his wrath and therefore why we need Jesus Christ? Well, let's look at verses 18 to 20 in more detail. First, we see God created. He set the boundaries and order of the universe, and he did so out of love. But more importantly, in the creation of humankind, God made us in his image, which means we have capacity, unlike the animals and rest of creation around us, to know and relate to God as creator. Research shows that even those in the broadest reaches of the world who have no interaction with the Judeo-Christian worldview or society display an affinity in their consciences that cannot be explained from their religion, society, or the natural outworking of their opinion on what the role and purpose of humanity is. Of course, in many there are practices that are completely devoid of God's moral order, but the conscience of a human being seems to share some profound similarities that must have something to do with how we are made, or rather who made us. In his exploration of scientific theology and nature, Alistair McGrath says this, at the most basic level, all human beings may be said to possess this image in that they possess a natural aptitude or capacity for understanding at least something of God and responding to God in love. Our problem is the last part of that statement around responding to God in love has been destroyed by the entering of sin and death into our world but God never stopped responding to us in love. We have not been reduced to the consciousness of the creatures. No, our humanity has this capacity for understanding at least something of God intact. 
And in the creation itself, Paul claims God has made known more than just something. In future chapters, we will also see God's loving pursuit of us and his desire to restore this relationship, culminating in the person of Jesus Christ, who met with those seen as the worst of society and showed us how no one is unloved or unknown by God, nor beyond the riches of his grace. But that's for later. For now, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been on display. But we are unable to respond to God in love or know him as we should because of the first exchange. Come back to the garden. The gardener and his friends are enjoying one another and the garden. But then one day the friends forget the gardener and instead rip up the prize rose bushes in full bloom and instead put an abstract statue of the roses in the ground where they ripped out the plant. They're super excited about their new creation and how great a group of gardeners they are, despite what they created being a poor imitation of what they had destroyed. They were given one limitation on how they could use the garden and they not only failed, but caused great pain to the gardener who watched his rose bushes destroyed and the friends forget all about him and his plans for the garden in the process. They claimed to be better than him, replaced his design for their own, and rejoiced in their own truth that was actually a lie. Something must be done to achieve justice for the gardener's identity, his roses, and his plans for the friends in the garden. Something must be done. Verses 21 to 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. It's important that we understand the betrayal of our sinfulness, that we have known or know something of God and yet our hearts and minds have turned away from God and we exchange the glory of God for something that he has created, whether it be ourselves or some other creature, object or goal. This is idolatry. Anything that takes the place of God and desiring him, that steals your time, your affections, your mind or your body from knowing and loving the creator. And despite those of us who've been given the light of the gospel, if you're anything like me, you're still struggling daily to honour God and pursue his gospel and need to deal with all those idols one after the other. Augustine calls this battle the order of loves. That behind human love or desire is the human will or capacity of choice. Except that since the fall, we are unable to reorder what we have put out of joint. See, whatever we love or adore becomes the object of our worship and our bottom line. All it took was one moment for Adam and Eve to shift that bottom line to themselves and sin entered our world through the moral betrayal of humanity towards God. But is it truly fair to say that we are without excuse? Aren't we victims of the fall and the decision Adam and Eve made? How is the wrath or justice of God fair that one choice led to everyone from that point onwards living in a fallen world where the odds were stacked against them? Well, our need for the gospel 
comes through the truth that even with all the right conditions and no distractions, the tendency for humanity was still to exchange God. The point Paul makes in this passage is to prove that when we choose to exchange our God once, we have then begun the spiral like dominoes falling into place. All it takes is for us to make that first push. And that is the beginning of sin. Paul goes on to say in Romans 6.23, the penalty of sin is death. The death spiral. The result of what happens when the passengers throw the captain out of the plane and switch the engines off. You nosedive. And you only need to throw the captain out of the plane once for it to result in the same outcome. The world is in the death spiral and under the necessary wrath of God because we have not been left ignorant and we are without excuse. Well, our second need for the gospel. We must stand to account for our decision-making, our agency. Verses 24 to 25 show the next exchange that occurs once that domino line starts to fall. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. This second exchange is like the first in that it relates to our exchange of the creator for something lesser. In the first exchange, it was to replace God with fake gods or idols or ourselves. In the second, it is to replace the truth that we had even done so with a lie. Something must be done because of our moral responsibility before God. And so in both cases, God hands us over to the consequences of our choices and where they lead us. The phrase gave them over, hands over, is demonstrating the response God must make for the sake of justice in his created order. Something destructive has happened and the creator cannot remain neutral. He is righteously angry at our choices to ignore him and leave damage and decay in our wake. God doesn't watch us jump in the wrong boat and head down the river towards the rapids and cliff edge. No, he gives our boat a nudge as part of his judgment for our choices. Okay, you want to do that? Well, off you go. Your consequence is to have the thing you want because it's so bad for you that in attaining it, you are bringing death to yourself, welcoming it with open arms as if it's a victory. Something must be done. The first handing over was to give us over to the sinful desires of our hearts and the degrading of our bodies with one another. And now the third exchange comes out of that handing over. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even though women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. The topic of homosexual practice highlighted by Paul using incredibly strong language, such as shameful error and penalty, is not a popular one. In this context of idolatry and language of worship, it's important to remember that homosexual practice was used by many ancient religions that distracted God's people who promoted temple prostitution. 
the offering of their bodies as vessels of worship in the act of homosexual sex to false gods. That may help us understand why this particular behaviour is drawn out more than the list to follow, though that the list is also equally as immoral, but that doesn't explain away how else homosexual practice is framed in this context. It's the language of exchanging the natural for the unnatural that gets the most attention, because natural in our generation can have a more subjective sense than the other strong words surrounding it. And we need to pause and understand the meaning of the Greek word physikos and how it's being translated to natural. It's not talking about what feels natural to us in the way our thinking or desires might sense something is good. You're not allowed to deny someone else's natural instincts because what's natural to us has been defined in our culture as the emotions or inclinations of our thoughts. And it's rarer for us to use natural the way Paul means, more often used in the field of science. But here, natural refers to that creation language alluded to in Romans 1 to describe what is natural to God's created order, his natural law, an inherent design or order that exists in creation that cannot be altered by each new generation's opinion of it. Ultimately, that means as God created and designed for us goodness in his moral order, any sexual impurity outside the way God designed sex within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, including homosexual practices, is unhealthy for us. They do not serve us in worshipping, knowing, and loving our Creator God because He didn't design us for that. And He wants what's best for us because He loves us. The only moral form of this natural marriage, according to Jesus in Matthew 19, is this. He said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the first place made them man and woman? It says in Genesis, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and will live with his wife. The two will become one. God's design for everything, not just sex and marriage, really is what's best for us. Homosexual practice, any sexual impurity within yourself or sex outside the bounds of marriage, Jesus defined, even within what claimed to be loving and committed relationships, is an exchange of something that is good for something that is shameful and is a handing over of your immoral desire. And those of us here who see Christ as our King and our treasured possession need to keep learning to respond to the reality of our moral desires with the obedience that comes through faith. Love of Christ and the truth of the gospel is what sets us free from the oppression of that death spiral. Humanity not acknowledging the Creator's right to rule is actually the most repressing part of it all. And I want to acknowledge before we move on that accepting this teaching and valuing it is incredibly countercultural for us here in Diamond Creek, Melbourne, and takes courage. Joel asked us to reflect last week on the places we have the larger desire to retain respect and the biggest risk for standing up for Jesus. And this teaching may tempt you to be ashamed of the gospel, to want to remain silent out of fear for what could happen in speaking, or you don't want to accept the truth because you prefer the lie. Whereas Stott says, it would be wrong for me 
to seek to induce feelings of guilt or convince you of this artificially, but it is so much worse for me to leave you or for you to leave those around you trapped by a lie. We all find it hard to ignore sexual immorality. Whether you're single, dating, married, divorced or widowed, we all wrestle with this, despite many of us knowing what is good and what isn't. And we have to support one another to have courage to know God, to love his commands as he loves us, and to set free with truth those around us who have jumped in that boat heading for the cliff. Because we must stand to account for our decision-making. And let me remind you that though there is a handing over in the present, there is a handing over to come. We will all stand before the throne of God on that final day of judgment, and our agency will be weighed against God's order and moral design. What about my friend or family member who, though they don't call themselves Christian, is a good person? Or if you're visiting and you don't call Jesus Lord or haven't yet been brought into Christianity, but feel you lead a pretty good life? How can you know that you lead a good life? How can anyone if they don't accept fully and seek to know and love the source of goodness himself. If you don't know the loving author of good, you can't know goodness, which means you don't make decisions shaped by the truth. And unless we have the spirit to open our eyes, we can't see that truth and descend the spiral nonetheless. Something must be done. The gardener cannot stand and watch more of his friends become his enemies without acting. They rejected him. They are continuing to rip up, destroy, smash and malign the gardener themselves. The benches have rotted. The fountain is cracked. All the living things are dried up and dead. And those once invited to enjoy the garden now stand around throwing what's left of the dirt into the air in amazement of how clever they are in their moment of creation. They can no longer see the destruction because they have no memory of the garden. The time is coming when the gardener will remind them of who he is and throw them out. We have not been left ignorant and we are without excuse. We must stand to account for our decision-making, our agency. And finally, we are powerless and enslaved to death without the power of the gospel to save. Verse 28, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. What follows this is the longest list of vices in the New Testament, which lists all the ways we then harm those around us in our decision-making. Make no mistake, Paul is attempting to be as thorough as he can in the time he has to demonstrate what the fruit of a darkened mind looks like. Verse 32 reaches the bottom of the spiral with the depiction of someone who not only knowing God's moral order and the penalty for ignoring God is death, they continue to sin and then begin to approve of those who do also. That's basically demonstrating that not only have we turned away from God ourselves, but we're essentially out here doing the devil's work in encouraging others to ignore God and throw themselves under the bus of wrath, celebrating as they go as if it's a good thing. 
We are unable in ourselves to avoid the first domino falling and powerless to stop the progression of exchange to exchange until we end up at verse 32. We have no power here, and this is the bad news. Romans 5, which we will come to in the future, says this is what it means to be in Adam. But praise be to God that verse 32 isn't the end of the story. And all that we wrestle with from Romans 1 is found in just the first three chapters of God's word as an explanation. How many more chapters there are after and things to come. The power of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the cross, not only was the penalty for sin paid in his death, but the true injustice of sin and death shown, not injustice towards you and I, no, towards the only innocent human to never touch the dominoes and the very life-giving king of the universe who lovingly entered into our brokenness, who was beaten, mocked and killed so that we might walk free. The most beautiful exchange once and for all. This is the good news. There is freedom from the death spiral that pulls you downward. There is new life through the resurrection of the dead and the life to come. There is grace at the throne of judgment for those who call on the name of Jesus, trusting that in his death, not anything they've done, they receive that gift of life. Right at the start, I mentioned the most basic level of human beings as the possession of the capacity to know God and respond to God in love. It's through the cross this capacity becomes realised when we actually know and habitually loved God, even if imperfectly, as we wait for the full restoration of creation. And the final level of humanity, and for which we wait, our image is perfected when God is seen face to face in the new creation to be unveiled in the pattern of Christ and his resurrection. Friends, we need the gospel. We need it like we need our next breath. Our need for the gospel is as absolute as the dead needing life. If you felt a stirring in your heart or a pricking of your conscience to this, I encourage you to respond to that through prayer and to take just one step towards God in responding to this blessed truth of him making a way for you to know and love him to rejoice in the space of this. Even if it feels like you're still surrounded by darkness, you will see his great and glorious light. And it is with this powerful gospel vision and the complete opposite of our death spiral from today that I read the answer to Romans 1 in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. How we need you, Jesus. How the world needs to hear of you. Thank you and help us stand proud of your gospel and tell the world of the powerful hope we have in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of this word today. Please help us to continue to meditate on it and to wrestle with it where we need to, 
And Spirit, give us the courage, insight and understanding and the acceptance to walk with this word in peace with you and hope for the world around us. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.